Recorded live. Well, Rashad, are you ready? Ready to go. All right. We all be as honored to have once on, once again, the one and only brother, Gavin Rashad. With some 411, we need to know so we can grow. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fine, my brother. I'm doing great. Uh, I hope you and your family are doing well. Uh, I hope you're staying cool, especially with this heat. I am. I know you get, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, it's uh, it's hot in Louisiana. I swear I saw a pimp slapping his girls with Gatorade. <laughs> 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 you got the Louisiana hot sauce 411 for us, though, today, though. So there's a lot of things going on in the news cycle, or has been going on all this year. We want to touch upon some of that stuff as well. Uh, I want to ask you, man, because, I mean, we, we're approaching football season and whatnot, and this issue with Colin Kaepernick not being able to play or get signed by a team, and people talking about uh, boycotting the NFL. They also got the CTE stuff going on with the brain concussions and stuff like that. Uh, what are your thoughts about what's going on right now? Well, to address the CTE issue first, if I could, mm-hmm. Uh you know, that they had that movie Concussion, which Will Smith was in, that he played the doctor who discovered that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't, I've heard from uh, a doctor, and I'm going to address him a little bit later because I think uh, we may be talking about the O.J. Simpson case. He's involved with that. Mm-hmm. But I was listening to him on a radio program where he said, if you basically have a 200, and, let's say a 245-pound man running up, against another 245-pound man or more, and they do this, let's say, the average NFL player, I think, plays in a league on average, maybe is lucky about, what, three or four years? Right, maybe like less than that. Less I than think five, NBA, yeah. NBA is like that as well. Well, if you keep doing that constantly, eventually, and you're hitting yourself in the head all that time, that causes trauma. And the human brain is not designed... Uh, for that level of trauma. Now, me being a man, I love sports. I love, <laughs> we love brutality. It goes back to the Roman Coliseum. You know, people would go in there and they would see the gladiators fight the monsters and sometimes uh, even the Christian martyrs would be put to death. You know, people would gather and Caesar or whoever the emperor was would give the thumbs up, you know, or put them to death. It's, it's part of, uh, it's in our nature to be violent. You know, it's not right. But, uh, you know, do I think the NFL should be banned? Not necessarily, because I think, in all fairness, if you ban the NFL, then what are we going to do about boxing or UFC fighting? Because I'm pretty sure those men, uh, you know, have developed diseases as a result of uh, the hits that they've taken and the punches they've taken. Look at, uh, you remember a boxer in the 90s named Meldrick Taylor? Oh, tell us about him. Well, he was a lightweight champion of the world at one time. And, well, how he came, he was very good. He was trained under Lou Duva. Uh, mm-hmm. Lou Duva was the boxing manager for, well, the boxing trainer for Pernell Sweet P. Whitaker. I know him, yeah. Yeah, Xander Holyfield. Mm-hmm. And, uh, wow. A bunch of a bunch of fighters. Well, Meldrick was fighting, uh, I know you may have heard this name, Julio Cesar Savez Sr. Of course. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, not the junior, junior sucks, but, uh, <laughs> I'm dang, 
I'll get into that in a second. But, yeah, Junior, yeah, they fought in this fight for, uh, back in 1990 or 1991, and Meldrick Taylor was beating him, and eventually uh, Julio Cesar Chavez kept, you know, fighting and caught up to him and knocked him down. Uh, when he got back up in the 12th round with only one second left, referee Richard Steele stopped the fight, and he lost the title. Mm-hmm. But other than that, he would have beaten Julio Cesar Chavez. He's beating him the whole fight. Well, to get to my point with the uh, brain and concussion issues, they looked at his speech pattern from 1992, I think the interview was 2003 or 2002, and Meldrick Taylor, you know, he sounded like uh, Mushmouth from Fat Alvin and the Cosby Kids. Not mm-hmm. trying to make fun of anybody, you know, that has that, but they could tell by his speech pattern you know, he was punched, you know, they call it pugilist disease or pugilist mm-hmm. syndrome. Yeah, but he was punched drunk at that time. So, I mean, you know, we're going to investigate and put that out of business. You know, we'd have to question everything. We can't just look at one sport and not look at all the others. Uh, but when it comes to Kaepernick, you know, it's clear he's being blackballed. Um, you know, they've, they have... For him to not, they have him unsigned, and for him not to be signed even as a backup. And I see white quarterbacks uh, like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who on the New York Jets, who have the sorriest quarter, they have the sorriest quarterback tandem in the league right now. And they couldn't sign Kaepernick. Same thing with uh, look at my hometown here of Drew uh, with New Orleans with the Saints. Drew Brees, you know, Drew Brees was outspoken against Kaepernick when he took the knee. All he did was take a knee. He's never been arrested or convicted of a crime. And you have criminals that are on these NFL teams, people that have been accused of domestic violence, people that have been accused of homicides. Look at Ray Lewis. <laughs> very outspoken against Kaepernick, though. I'm sorry? He's very outspoken against Kaepernick, or even Mike Vick, who is a felon. Yeah, well, Vic is the last, shouldn't even be talking. I mean, he had a Rico. Basically, he had a Rico. That was a Rico he escaped. He should be in jail, too. He had a federal, well, what it was was my understanding. He wasn't doing the dog fighting, but he was But it's still like an organized crime thing, though, right? Right. Because it's like John Gotti or somebody. Yeah, so it's still a Rico thing. He he should be in jail based on that. But they didn't give him the full blunt. They just needed a face on it because he was a celebrity at that time. And he really, to be quite honest, you know, there are people that have killed, we already know there are people that kill human beings that don't, that don't do any jail time. This is true. And I think with him, I think he got, you know, with him, and you rem- I remember this distinctly, when he was coming back in the league, people were still protesting him. Uh, some were saying, uh, you know, he was a horrible human being. I remember that uh, white conservative talk show host uh, Tucker Carlson saying he should have gotten a death penalty for that. You know, white folks love their dogs. <laughs> they, so it was, so yeah, it was really ridiculous. Uh, well, you, know, you remember Leonard Little, he used to play for St. Louis Rams, a great Hall of Fame level talent uh, player who was a drunk driver and who killed driver. a woman. Who was drunk driving, they let him back in the league, or they kept him in the league. He was. For years after that. Dante Stallworth as well. Yeah. Uh, Dante Stallworth was uh, drafted by the Saints back in 2002 from Tennessee. 
mm-hmm. University. I remember him very well. Uh, and I think he ended up years later after he left for the Saints, he played for the Patriots. But he had, and a couple other teams, but yeah, he had a DUI where he killed a woman and he was allowed to come back. And let's not forget Ben Rapeless, excuse me, Roethlisberger. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, twice. I'm glad he didn't win no, another ball. Oh. He had three counts. Okay, every time he won Super Bowl, he raped somebody, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I ain't laughing at the right. But he, it's like every time he did that. Allegedly, yeah. Allegedly, yeah. right. But he's still playing. They extended his contract, right? Right. He's a Hall of Fame quarterback, guaranteed. Yes. Oh, yeah, and he's had – he had three counts of sexual assault that was he was never convicted or arrested on it, but he was investigated for that. And the only thing he got was suspended for six games. But to get with Kaepernick, this is just about, you know, putting – it's basically about putting um nigga in his place. Yeah, I mean, I, you're not gonna, I read – go ahead, I'm sorry. You're not going to, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to do this against our, uh, you know, troops, which it has nothing to do with the troops because when people even rise for the national anthem, uh, half of them are not even paying attention. All right. But you They're know not, not even paying attention. Go ahead, brother Ron. No, but you know what's crazy, though? This is, this is crazy. Tyler Kaepernick, you never heard of him getting in trouble uh, outside the, the playing field. He is no. not a criminal. He's a, he's an upstanding citizen. He's got a lot of sense. He's really a great role model for people who want to be intelligent and confident and also uh, have a moral compass. But my thing is Jackie Robinson, and people think he's an American icon, he never stood up for the National Anthem. For obviously, He had his reason for not standing up for the National Anthem. As a black man, as a person who stood his ground in the military when he was an officer down in Fort Hood, Texas. He had almost right. a Mexican standoff. I mean, the man pulled out his gun and said, if I got to go, some of y'all going to go with me. They never talk about that, but they always talk about Rosa Parks. It's interesting. But he never stood up for the national anthem, and he gave his reason in his autobiography why he never stood up. But, yeah, he's an American hero. You got a country that demonized Malcolm X, but, yeah, he's on the, on the stamp. He's an American hero now, like Patrick Henry, which is yeah. crazy. So Colin Kaepernick is being crucified, which is fascinating to me. And, he, and the people that's coming after him are people with questionable moral backgrounds. They're using other slaves to come out to a slave like Spartacus or something. You know, yeah. it, it was crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the thing is, is that the guy has, like we said, he has no criminal background. But one of the things you got to look at, too, and I saw this, I watch Undisputed uh, with Shannon mm-hmm. Sharp and uh, I like Shannon, man. I got more respect yeah. for him every day. <laughs> I, I, I respect under. I, will, I think undisputed is better than first take. Uh, by far, man. And by Skip far. is better. I think he's better around Shannon than he was around Stephen A. Yeah, well, Stephen A. was cooning too much. You know, <laughs> you know especially after he made those comments about Ray Rice, he had to straighten up because uh, he got suspended for that. And if you go back and look at that video. What he said was not incorrect. There are women who do start domestic violence. Women, I think the latest FBI statistics stated that uh, most, in most instances, about 55% or more cases, those, uh, I don't want to give the wrong number because I don't have that in front of me, but I did remember reading it. They mostly started by females, not men. Now, that's not to say what they did do is right, but... It gives you some hindsight of what's going on. And, you know, some of these women, they're not all angels. 
I mean, let's just be real. There are women I know who have attacked men with knives and baseball bats before. Uh, but, you know, they'll cry victim. I saw a video where a woman came on a beach and was attacking a man who was playing with his kite, uh, playing with some type of drone. And when the cops came, she acted like he was the one victimizing her. Well, he had the whole thing recorded. This is a white guy, by the way. He mm-hmm. had the whole thing recorded. And if he didn't have it recorded, they would have looked at him. Exactly. They would have looked at him. But, yeah, with Kaepernick, yeah, but uh, yeah, undisputed, they talked about it, Kaepernick, a lot. I, like I said, I have more respect for uh, Shannon Sharp than I do Stephen A. Smith. And one of the things that they mentioned yesterday on the show was that these police, these police unions, excuse me, the NFL union is very weak. Uh, they don't really stand up for their players like talking about it. Uh, they're not organized properly. You know, that's why this com- uh, Commissioner Godell has all of this unbridled power. He can do basically whatever he wanted to do. Uh, you know, the NFL owners, gave, I think, except one, gave him all of this discretion. So you, it's these owners that are the problem that, you know, will keep Kaepernick from being signed. But boycotting the NFL necessarily won't work. What would have to happen is you would have to hit the sponsors at the NFL uh, that sponsor the NFL. Because the NFL is a nonprofit organization. A lot of people don't know that. They pay no taxes, and they make billions of dollars. It is a billion-dollar industry. So the only thing, what you got to hit, you got to hit them in their pockets if you want to send a message. Uh, you know, white man, the, I, the white man only understands one thing. A friend told, uh, mentor told, told me this. A long time ago, he understands money and force. That's it. All the stuff we march for about justice and peace, when they saw Dr. King marching on uh, Washington Mall, you know, they were laughing. They were laughing at it. I mean, they didn't care about that. They knew, uh, they knew eventually integration was going to have to happen. Why? Because if you can integrate the schools, if you integrate the malls, the movie theaters, and so forth, it brings money to us. Whereas opposed when we had black theaters, we had black post office, we had black doctors, we moved away from that and went to them. That's why when you look at college football, take that for instance, since we're on football now, they don't broadcast, if you notice, the college black college football games like they used to back in the 90s and 80s. Have you noticed that? Mm-hmm. Wow. I, didn't, I wasn't really paying attention. That's interesting. Right. They, they don't broadcast them like talking about it. They'll put it, you know, maybe on like an ESPNU, but they used to be on, I remember when BET used to broadcast it. Mm-hmm. They don't do that anymore. You know, even though BET is owned by whites, but never, you know, that's neither here nor there. But, yeah, we don't have anything like that anymore, you know, quality programming. Uh, that's gone. You know, let me ask you this question. I know you're doing an interview, but what you grew up mostly in what year, 80s or 90s? Oh, 80s and 90s, yeah. Okay, same here. All right, do you remember when they actually had television shows that actually made sense? Yeah, I would <laughs> say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can, yeah. We had, okay, even black comedy show, like even the white shows. Let's take color out of it for this point. 
they all had a moral behind the story. I don't care if you were watching Family Ties or if you were watching The Cosby Show. It okay to mind, The Cosby Show, Different World. It made sense. A Different World, right. And what they did with The Cosby Show and A Different World, they highlighted the importance of black colleges and universities. Mm -hmm. If you look at it, Bill Cosby always wore a Selman shirt. He always wore a Dillard shirt, always wore a Xavier shirt, Grambling, Morris Brown. Even on a different world, you saw the, uh, even though they were fictional, the black fraternities. And in later shows, like even on Martin and Living Single, I would see Martin wearing a Grambling University sweater. I would see uh, Kim Fields wearing a Spellman sweater, a Clark Atlanta, Queen Latifah wearing Clark Atlanta. You know, that's something that we don't see anymore. And you got to question that, and that's because it's, just, it's by design that they are dumbing down this nation. And especially our people, because what's the best show we can find out that we can look at? What, Black Ink Crew Chicago? Boy, <laughs> Go ahead, I'm sorry, I'm listening. Yeah, well, I'm just, I'm just ranting about it because I'm just, the, the TV shows that we have now are just, it's just awful. That's why there's, if you notice, there's a nostalgia for like the 80s and 90s now that people are saying because they realize, you know, before the internet, we actually had fun. Things made, things made sense. Things were more, you know, there was quality. It's not here no more. So. Yeah, I want to actually take, uh, you saying that, I was thinking about some shows. I think a lot of the shows now, they are too much involved in pushing a certain uh, different agenda from what you stated with the uh, late 80s, 90s shows, which is, I don't call it a gay agenda. It's like they were so big. Every show you look at now got something to do with homosexuality and with same-sex relationships. Yeah. And it's very much design. pushed. Yeah. That's my design. Uh, back, I, I want to tell you this. I was, back in the 70s, if I'm correct, uh, the very first show that actually had an open gay character was Billy Crystal on the show Soap. Okay. Uh, I remember listening to this attorney, and his name escapes me right now, but some t- there was some type of special television show on ABC uh, during the 70s. On, it was either the late 70s, early 80s. I can't be sure, but I distinctly remember him talking about this, and what happened on that show, there was, a, I believe, a rape scene that involved a homosexual man or homosexual men or something like that doing this to a heterosexual man. And it portrayed them what they found, the gay community, in a negative light. And from that point on, I think on most of these networks, they are required to have, whenever they do uh, have a gay character, they're required to have an advisor on these shows and in these net, on these networks. Uh, they have to be portrayed in a positive light. And you see that in the TV shows. Look at Modern Family. Uh, I don't even watch it because I don't really, you know, I didn't think it was all that funny. But, um, you know, you look at, you know, Modern Family. You look at a couple other shows like Will and Grace. There was Glee. There's Grey's Anatomy. There's Scandal. There's, uh, you know, there's How to Get Away with Murder, which I stopped watching at all. Uh, You know, just because it was just, it was just too much. And, in fact, 
Billy Crystal commented on how they're pushing the gay agenda too much, and they made him apologize for saying that. He said really? a lot of stuff. Yeah, he said a lot of stuff that they're showing just goes too far. Uh, you know, he I don't he wasn't saying anything vulgar against them. He didn't make any slurs. He wasn't saying he hated gay people or anything like that. But you know, the slightest thing, any type of criticism that you have towards them. They make you apologize or else you're going to lose your job. And that's just the bottom line. They control the three groups in Hollywood that run every, that are running everything, and they're intertwined with each other. It's the Jewish community, the feminist movement, which is white women, and it's the LGBTQ. Uh, I, they, I don't know. They got more letters, abbreviations, too, they got, that I, don't mm-hmm. even, I didn't even know of. Because there's questioning, there's I... There's, I heard of something yesterday called size gender, which I have no idea what the hell that means. Have you heard of that? Side gender? Side gender? No, I heard of Jewish, uh, gender fluidity. I never heard of that. I, I guess that's what that is. But yeah, that's, yeah, that's crazy. Some nonsense. But yeah, more craziness. But yeah, it's, it's all part of a, an agenda. Um, you know, President Obama, he really pushed it. You know, during his presidency, he spoke up more for gay rights than he did black rights. And you see now that uh, Trump is coming in and they're basically trying to, you know, erase his legacy. You know, even parts of that are being uh, dismissed, which I'm surprised he's even doing because Trump actually is, uh, if you look at his history, he actually has had, with him and his family, they've had a history of endorsing you know, uh, LGBT issues. Mm. I don't know if a lot of people know that, but now he's doing, uh, because he's in with, he has the Republican Party vote, you know, he's uh, pushing against the transgenderism in the military. You know, he had Mad Dog Maddox, I think, as his military advisor. So, yeah, he's He's pushing to that uh, ultra conservative base, but I think he's also, you know, he's also an independent. You know, he was a Democrat, I think, at one point. But yeah, I know I'm just rambling right now, Ron. You know, no, also, I mean, he's related to Hillary Clinton too. I mean, people are, like oh, he's you know, related to Hillary. Yeah, they cousin. I mean, he was, you know, he went to her daughter's wedding, whatever. People want to play down, play these bloodline relationships. You know, the people that control the world, they have connected bloodlines. You look yeah. at uh, all the presidents, they all related. They say Barack Obama relates to a whole bunch of them, right? You know, yeah, Barack uh, Obama's related to Brad Pitt. And right, Brad Dick Pitt. Ch- to Dick Cheney, their cousins removed. I don't know. George yeah, Bush, uh, Linda B. Johnson, Harry Truman, Franklin Pierce, all of them, all of them. Fred, uh, Jesse James, John D. Rockefeller, our cousins, Okay. So, I mean, all these people are related. One are related to the King of England. Yeah, they all, and I'll go back to England, a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. So, like, no, the thing about it, you look at these bloodlines, you look at these people, they're not going to let you be president unless you are a part of they, they club some type of way. Right, and that's the thing I try to tell people because a lot of people think Obama was on our side. He knows. He was not. He was mm-hmm. not. He knows things that you and I don't have access to. Right. You don't think he knew... You don't, honestly, I tell people this. You don't think he's looked at those government files and know who really killed John F. Kennedy or Martin Luther King? 
Well, we know that too, though. Here's the thing about us. We know that too, but we don't know that we know it because they put it out there already. Like you look at Dr. King's case, for example. We had a civil court case down in Memphis back in 1999 that confirmed that the government was complicit in the killing of Dr. King. If you look at the transcripts of that of that court thing, because the King family brought that up, so it's, it's part of public record. Right. You can look right. this stuff up, but people don't want to know. That's the difference. You got the information out there to know about what happened to Kennedy, as well as MLK and even Malcolm X. Well, Your government that you pay taxes to, right? But it's the government. It's always an inside job. Nine Eleven. Jet fuel cannot do that to buildings. The World Trade Center was designed to withstand airplane crashes. Yeah, and all types of acts of God. So you telling me that jet fuel? You know, that you put in jets that people ride around in on a daily basis, was they able to do that? Well, I would go further than that. If you look at World Trade Center 7, Tower right. 7, Tower uh, 7. that was not even hit by an airplane, so why did that fall? Because people, my, it was explosion in the basement. Even, yeah. Right, well, it's not even mentioned in the uh, 9-11 Commission report. It's, no, 9-11 Commission report, Warren report. They never admitted it. Yeah. Warren Commission report, any commission report uh, issued by the government is not trustworthy. Whether it be the Warren Commission on the Kennedy assassination, whether it be a, the 9-11 report, commission report, because you got witnesses on tape saying that they heard explosions from the basement. Even the first World Trade Center bomb in 93, the FBI was heavily involved in that. Yeah. I've heard the same thing with Timothy McVeigh and, uh, in Oklahoma. Right, the, the, the government was involved in that. The FBI, yeah. CIA, they do operations. You got to look up things called Operation Northwoods, where they they kill basically killed Kennedy. One of the reasons why they killed Kennedy because he did not want to do false flags operations on on U.S. Well, soil. Well, the main reason that was part of it, but the main reason was the fact that he was in the process. Well, two reasons: he was in the process of removing the troops out of Vietnam. And the other reason is that he was also going to get rid of the Federal Reserve Unit. Uh, he was back in, he signed an executive order, I believe it was 11100, and he was going to back the United States dollar behind silver. See, we get up from the Federal Reserve Bank as a private institution, it's not government owned. Right. Uh, it's privately owned, and every time we're borrowing money, we're charging we're charged interest by this bank. Just like if you have a mortgage, when you, you get a mortgage loan from a bank and they charge you interest to make payments each month. Well, if we're in debt, like what we are here in the United States, I believe it's nineteen trillion dollars, I'm not sure. That's because we're spending we're borrowing so much but we're not producing anything either to cut the debt down. I mean, I don't even know if you can emphatically uh, cut that, cut something like that down, because I can't even fathom nineteen trillion dollars. Can you? They don't want you to cut you down. They don't want to cut it down. That's how they cut the United States united. We we are united in debt. Right. The united. so-called founding fathers fought to get rid of that debt. They didn't want to be a part of banks. They knew the bankers were the evil ones. Right. The banksters, and they fought against them, but the bankers got in power because of Woodrow Wilson. Signing the Federal Reserve into existence because he made a deal with those banksters, those private banksters, and to get elected as president. Yeah, and, and he regretted know, it. He regretted it. That was one of his biggest regrets. The Federal Reserve. 
You know, it was interesting, too. In 1913, two other organizations were founded that, that year. IRS? The IRS and the, uh, I believe, the Anti-Defamation League. And the IRS is an interesting thing because you've got former IRS agents saying they don't pay taxes, the IRS. So it's unconstitutional. Yeah. The IRS is unconstitutional. But when people don't know these things, like it's a movie I just seen recently. I, I'm, I'm, I'm behind like everybody else. You ever seen this movie called The Zeitgeist? No, I haven't. You got to see it, man. It came out 10 years ago. People think it's so controversial because it talks about the origins of Christianity, but really happened on 9-11, and it talks about the IRS and how the money is running the world. And really, the Federal Reserve was credited to create debt. You got to borrow money from the Federal Reserve. You borrow that money in debt already. You know what I'm saying? We bunch of, we bunch of, we bunch of debt slaves. This is a country of debt slaves. You cannot mm-hmm. escape the system unless you overthrow the system or unless you create an alternative system. But if you are a participant in this system, you are more than likely a slave. You're a debt slave. So it's meant for you well, to be staying in debt. So they can control you. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true because when you look at the when you look at just the financial system the way it's set up, mm-hmm. you know, people buy things on credit, even me. Uh, of course, we all do it. I do it. We all do it. <laughs> we need, well, we need it. We need right. an item. And mm-hmm. eventually you got to pay it back. And if you fail to pay it back, they charge you late fees and they charge you interest. So you yeah, got to pay it back. up more and more money. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard. I, I can tell you um, as a young attorney, you know, I'm working on my own. It's a hustle. Right. I mean, that's just the truth. When you're working on your own, I mean, when you work in general on your own, you got to hustle. But it's even worse because you're saturated here in Baton Rouge with lawyers. You know, Baton Rouge is a very small community. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's growing, but it's a small community and it's saturated with attorneys. And so, you know, unless you're known, it's going to take you a little more time than like a seasoned attorney to get a client to walk through your door. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that applies when you're an entrepreneur with anything, that applies as well because you got to just get your name out there. And, you know, you're basically hustling. You're trying to pay off the man. You got your credit card payments that are due. That's not to mention also you got to keep your lights on. So you got electricity, you got gas, you got food, you got to eat, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff. It's just, it's just money in, money out. You make money to spend money. <laughs> like my mom used to right. say, it just yeah. costs, yeah, it costs, you know, and no, yeah, the, the credit card system, the credit system here is a joke. It is it's meant to control people. And also, it's funny you said, I was thinking about what Judge Joe Brown told me the other day, and I'm going to get put out there to the public soon, but he said, basically, he used to avoid the creditors after law school. It took him years to pay back his law school debt, you know. But he was when he used to talk to him on the phone, he would say, "Look, I'm just living out the interest of the forty acres of the mule that you owe me, that you owe my ancestors. So really, I'm living out the interest of the reparations that was owed. So leave me alone." <laughs> so eventually, he paid it off. But you know what's interesting? I'm telling you what's interesting. The reason why Kaepernick is having the problems he having, and the reason why a lot of us are having the problems we having. I had a conversation some years ago with Fred Hampton's uh, friend and lawyer. There's a guy named Jeffrey Haas. He's a Jewish American from Atlanta, but he went to University of Chicago uh, Law, University of Chicago Law School. Mm-hmm. Then where he met Fred Hampton and started the People's Law Office uh, because of Fred Hampton. 
He said, uh, Brother Ron, back then, you you could be able to do the ju- uh, the social justice work because you didn't have debt coming out of school. You could be able to experiment and do things for the community, be an advocate because you didn't have to deal with school debt. But now that's impossible coming out today. You got to deal with so much debt. You can't really do things you want to do or experiment with try to do social justice advocacy. And then you right. look at Kyla Kaepernick. You know, if he was out during Ali's time, Ali had the back of some of the top black athletes in the country. But the thing about it is these black athletes got more to lose financially now than they did back then. Because even back then, even if you was like a great football player or basketball player, you still had to get a job in the offseason to support yourself and your family. Right. You wasn't making millions of dollars back then. You weren't making millions of dollars that, during that time. Uh, they weren't, you know, athletes basically worked two jobs. I was, right. You know, I remember I was reading, I saw Johnny Unitas, the great quarterback for the coach, mm-hmm. and I think he was working even uh, in the steel mills in Baltimore. He's from, he was from Philadelphia. Or not Philadelphia mm-hmm. I'm sorry, he's from Pennsylvania area, I believe. He's deceased mm-hmm. now. But, yeah, I think he was working uh, in steel mills and so forth while he was playing football. That's just how it was at one point. Uh, you know, they worked. They did that part-time, and eventually it took off to what it is now. It's a multi-million-dollar industry. But what they do is they have celebrities. Well, they make – not celebrities, I'm sorry. They have sponsors that want to push their, uh, you know, their items and merchandise, so they'll use these athletes now to uh, push that for them. Look at uh, LeBron James. You look at – uh, who else? If you look at even Richard Sherman, a whole bunch of them, you know, they do advertisements and commercials, and they make extra money like that. You know, at one time, Manny Pacquiao, he was doing uh, commercials with Nike, and I think he made some comments about gay people. They took that yeah. away from him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they make, yeah, and they make, they use, so when these advertisers want to push and, you know, want their items to sell, they're going to go to the athlete. And the athletes realize if I say something controversial, you know, I know that I can lose money from this. So that's why a lot of them are not saying and speaking out, you know, in favor of Kaepernick, though some have, you know, but they are not, we don't have athletes like we did back in the 60s and 70s. You had, when Ali spoke, he didn't care about money, but the community help him. Same thing with Jim Brown when, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. When he spoke out, we knew who the enemy was, and we all stuck together. You know, that happened in New Orleans back in 1965 when they had the AFL championship, AFL, NFL. Mm-hmm. It was like a Pro Bowl. And when the athletes from the AFL were trying to get into the hotels uh, or even in the cab even to hail a cab, they would have guns pulled on them because they were black and they couldn't spend, you know, their money and time in the French Quarter. They couldn't Mm -hmm. go into certain hotels. And they all stood up and demanded that the NFL and the AFL move this game to Houston because we're not going to play here if we're not. Why would I play somewhere where I'm not welcome? Exactly. And, you know, they and the NFL responded and they moved. So... You don't have that today, though, because niggas are scared. <laughs> but you know, you, you, you go back to yeah, you go back to that point. I, I read, I read a recent article about Kaepernick. 
where basically uh, Richard Sherman, who played for the Seattle Seahawks, who was very outspoken on certain issues, he said they're just trying to keep a you know a nigga in his place. So in so many words, but Kyle Kaepernick had a chance to be signed by the Seahawks. It would probably been a great fit for him, but they turned him down. But but if the players stood up for him at the Seahawks organization, it might have been a different story. Instead of talking about it to a reporter, why not stood up to him? Why not stand up for him against the ownership? To say, look, this guy is good for our, our locker room. He's a he's a real leader. He's very inspirational. Uh, he's he, he's very he's very talented. He's, not, he's not even thirty years not, old yet. He's not even in his prime. They're not going to give up. They're not going to speak up for him right when it needs to be because they're not going to give up. They don't want to lose that check either. They got kids to support. They're not going to give that up. They look. The owners are the ones that, even though most owners don't run the team, it's usually the general managers that do everything. Owners are not going to really uh, are the ones, obviously, that make the final decision because they sign a check. So they, players, especially if some of them are coming up on contract years, like I think Richard Sherman was coming up on his, they're not going to speak and say things right when it counts or when it needs to be. And those players, you know, I don't know if he said anything in private. I think they've said they wanted him there, but you know, he didn't play. He's not playing for him, so he would have been a good fit there. No, he would have been a good fit in New York. The Jets or even the Dolphins. Come on, Jake Cutler over Kaepernick. You know, come well, on, yeah, man. The Dolphins, but they signed Jake Cutler's ass. Who, you know, from my understanding, he uh, didn't. If you saw that press conference, he didn't even look like he was happy about coming back. But he's protected by, like somebody says, a brotherhood. They protect certain ones. I mean, well, he had, a lot more quarterbacks yeah. than stick out for the Kaepernick. That coach, know? the coach for the Miami Dolphins was the offensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears when Cutler was there. Right, so, but he looked out for his boy, though. He looked out for him. Right, right. You know? Who's looking out for Kaepernick, man? That's what I'm saying. Nobody's looking out for him. Nobody. I don't and not even the black people, the black folks. So, I mean, I'm like I'm this. I look at back in the 60s, right? I look at Ali. Ali was willing to sacrifice four years of his prime to make the point. Dr. King and Malcolm X and Mega Evans were family men who were killed. They had families to feed. They had wives. And they were killing these folks making all these damn excuses. Now, why they can't stand up and be a man? Why he can't stand up for another man who's standing up for us? They're making all these damn excuses about family and all this stuff. You had people 50 years ago, they put their whole livelihood, they put their family, they put everything on the line for what they believe in. Yeah, everything. And you right. ain't willing to put everything online. You ain't living. Right, but all of that is gone now because we just like going back to <laughs> yeah, going back. To, yeah, niggas are scared. But going back to even <laughs> with the uh, black college football, I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. You had black college football games broadcast on primetime television. We had quality family programming. The times have changed. People don't. They are going. They, it's a money-making industry, and like a like any well-oiled machine, the machine has no fear. And so that's what you're seeing with these, with the NFL. That's what you see with the NBA. You know, it's not going to. They're not going to change anything unless you stop the money, unless you stop the oil. That's the only way a car shuts down. When there's no oil, it just the car just stops, right? Yeah, but our people wouldn't give up their bread and circuses. Like Caesar said, give them bread and circuses. You can do whatever you want to. Yeah, 
I'd be willing to give up their bread and circuses. I don't think people in America are willing to give that up, along with their drugs. (laughs) You know, they're not willing to give that up. Yeah, yeah, they're not willing to give that up, and you see that with Kaepernick. And the guy, from my understanding, he was giving his money away, even to the inner city for kids who don't have it. I saw him actually give his whole tennis U collection to a bunch of uh, needy kids in the uh, ghettos in San Francisco and in, in the West Bay, you know. And they're getting rid of poor black folks in San Francisco and the Bay Area. They're getting rid of these people. People have been living there for decades. Yeah. Black folks can't afford to live there no more. Oh, yeah, it's happening everywhere. Even in New Orleans, they – I can show you places in New Orleans uh, where they got bicycle tr- uh, lanes now. Something mm-hmm. they ain't never had since I was a kid. Right. I hear you. I hear you. St. Claude. Yeah, and there's an area called St. Claude Avenue. That's a street that runs all the way through the Lower Night Ward from the Bywater area. They got bicycle lanes there, man. I've mm. never seen that. That's because these white folks are coming in there. They come in there, and when they come in there, the city is able to give them everything they want. They give them, you know, they give them luxury. But if you got a majority black area, like in, like I'm, I've told you this before, We've talked about this, like New Orleans East. You mm-hmm. know, they don't put any quality out there. Mm-hmm. They don't have any. There's no economic development. Hell, not even in New Orleans. Even in Baton Rouge, where I live in, there's an area called North Baton Rouge. I think I've told you about this. There used to be uh, the biggest mall in the state at one time was Cortana Mall. Now mm-hmm. all they got is Virginia. Co- they got Virginia College out there. The stores have closed down. Uh, you know, they have a few little store outlet stores out there, but, you know, it's falling to shit. Nobody shops out there. Everybody's got to come to the uh, South Baton Rouge area to go to the Mall of Louisiana. And, you know, of course, that's mostly in a predominantly white area. Wow. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's all by design, man, why this shit is happening. Look, you look everywhere. Like, it's always concentrated. Inner city is always concentrated with poverty and crime and so forth. It's by mm-hmm. design because all the white folks moved out to the suburbs and they took the jobs and they took the businesses with them. Even Like, even in New Orleans East. New Orleans East really was a suburb at one time. Uh, it still is. It's not in the inner city of New Orleans because people will say, for instance, like, uh, I'll give an example. People may say they're from Atlanta but they may live in, uh, like, Mableton, Georgia, which is outside Atlanta, or Sandy Springs, Georgia. You know, those are cities that, you know, outside Atlanta. They don't necessarily live in the heart of Atlanta. But New Orleans East was a suburb of uh, New Orleans where outside the city, you know, the CBD area, and they had grocery stores, malls, movie theaters, you know, speaking of the 80s, I remember when they had a movie theater right off Morrison Road that I used to go to. I remember being little and my dad taking me and my brother to see Honey, I Shrunk the Kids down the street. Yeah. Yeah, man. We're bringing back some memories, Brother Ron. (laughs) It's something we need to talk about in later shows, but I want to get back to the the NFL. Nintendo, yeah. Yeah, with the the CTE thing and with the Kaepernick thing and with the CTE thing in particular, 
this could actually probably bankrupt the NFL. I know people. Some people believe in thirty years the NFL will be no more. That uh, families will, will stop letting their children play football because of the CTE situation. What's your take on the uh, demise of the NFL or the future of the NFL? Right? I, I I don't see it. Like I said, it goes back to my original statement. If you go after the NFL, what are we going to do with boxing? Well, boxing is really on the climb, to be honest with you. There's really well, MMA and UFC starting to be more interested. They're bringing in more people than boxing that's right true, now. But, that's true, but when you say a demise of a sport, boxing has been around since even ancient Egyptian times. There were boxers. It, mm-hmm. It's not going to go anywhere. And keep in mind, boxing was selling out stadiums before they even had pay-per-view, before they had radio and mm-hmm. television. Look at Jack Johnson. Right. That's true. You know, so I don't see that. I, I don't see that happening because it's just too much. There's too much money in it now. I think that there's probably going to be in a few years. I think the interest in it has certainly changed, and I think that might be a factor. Uh, I think people need to get real when they say they want women to be in the NFL. Uh, you know, that would be that would be a bad idea. You about domestic violence. <laughs> That's what, that's what it is. Yeah. Right. They, they showed a video, ESPN. They, they didn't stop there. Yeah, they showed a video of a girl, I don't know if it was in high school football or whatever, where she tackled the guy who was running, making a special teams return. He's running full steam, and she did knock him out. But, you know, you're not going to put you put her in for that one play. You're not going to put her in to run up against a six-foot-three linebacker. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a different story. Women are it's not stronger than men. Story. And we're built differently. I mean, with some exceptions. You got some Amazons out there. But with some exceptions. Yeah. But I'm saying, it's like, then you play the game differently, it seems like you've got a woman on the field. Yeah, yeah. You know. it, just, it would play like they want uh, NFL women to be head coaches. Uh, they want them to do. I know they got referees, right? Referee. They got one as a referee, but that was in response to the Ray Rice thing. That wasn't about them trying to... To me, that's a, a, a NFL is such a hypocritic uh, yeah. organization because they already you know, punish him, quote-unquote, but then when the media got a hold of it, they went... They just basically, they lynched him. Yeah. Oh, no He doubt. was already punished. He was... Yeah, he was already Investigating everything. And yeah. he had already admitted what he did. He said he hit her. Now, he may have not gone in graphic detail by what you saw in the video... And my understanding before that, she spat on him. There's a lot of stuff. Like she even, I'm, I'm sure they fought before, and she even said she was, you know, guilty and some of the stuff. Right, right, and she forgave him ultimately. They met, you know, they married. So she was looking uh, for the payday. I ain't gonna say I don't know her like that, but now she, I don't know, like, you know, it's interesting because she was expecting that payday, though. I'm sure by marrying him, she was expecting that money. Yeah, well. I don't think they'll get that anytime soon. And why is it only matters? Black women don't really. I mean, this is my thing. The white feminists—they uh, like to use black women for their whatever for their agenda. Uh, black women, I mean, even young black females are not even seen as human, really. Or like you look at a young black female, a fourteen-year-old black female, she's not seen as a woman. She's seen as—I mean, she's seen as a woman. Yeah, you look at a fourteen old, a fourteen year old, or fifteen year old black boy. He's seen as a man by the media. They make these, these our children to boogeymen and boogeywomen. Well, 
Well, they did that. You saw that with the Tamir Rice shooting. Right. Uh, he was 12 years old. Tamir, they kept calling Tamir Rice a young man. Well, he was 12. A child. Right. A child. Right. Uh, you see that either how the police officer handled uh, a few years back at that pool party. And you saw oh, yeah. the police yeah. throw that little girl to the ground yeah. and put his knee in his back. Right. Put a bikini on. Yeah. Yeah, I I may be getting in trouble with this, but if had I been there or anybody else, somebody should have took a brick and knocked him upside his fucking head. But you see how the black boys responded I, initially? They put a gun on him and yeah. tried chasing him. Yeah, they were trying to. They some of the black boys were trying to stand up for her, but mm-hmm. it goes back to what I said. You know, people are scared. You saw that video go uh, another year back when the, the cop came in the classroom and slammed that girl down. Yeah, South Carolina, and yeah. There was a black, I guess, a teacher who was standing right there, a male teacher, and he didn't say a word. Mm-hmm. Just let the cop do what he did. Yeah. Now, she was there's some people saying, well, he, he dated a black woman or some stuff. I heard people say this. Don't tell it. What they got to do with it? Thomas Jefferson had sex with black women, too. Andrew Jackson did, too. Made the death before. Bill Maher. Right, yeah, I heard sex with black women. <laughs> But they got to do anything. Bill, yeah, Bill Maher, you have... Especially uh, Bill Maher, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've, uh, you know, I, he's one of those, uh, I guess, and Dr. Boyce Washington talked about him. He's one of those comedians where, or those people where he's a white liberal and he feels entitled he can talk to black people any kind of way. To screw all types of black people he want, you know, he can yeah. screw them all types of ways. Yeah. yeah, I don't really watch his show, to be quite honest. I've seen it years ago, and I just felt, I just, it just wasn't interesting to me because it was, it, he's very, he's part of that whole neoliberal clique, you know, about population, and he's talked about population control before. Uh, you know, he said he's not opposed to killing some people. He said something like that once. On radio. Well, you know, the system does it anyway. You know, like, when they put well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, and he's also, they, you know, this is another thing, too. Most, I find the media today, it's not as, it's not responsible like it, so it never has been responsible uh, in all cases, but it's very opinionated run, and, and there's certainly an agenda that they have in media, uh, even in our black press. Uh, I was watching uh, the, the Umar Johnson Roland Martin interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. uh, was that an interview or was it more like an that ambush? That was an ambush. That was, was an no interview. Right, and I don't. Mm-hmm. And I'm not defending Umar because I, you know, I don't know his detail as far as with the school, and I have questions about it. And I think, and I have no problem with people asking about the money. I think if you donated money to him, uh, people have a right to ask questions about why it has taken so long and so forth. But they could have handled that whole situation much better by what I saw. And it was like, I thought initially Roland was just interviewing Umar and it ended up being three-on-one. Well, really, yeah, three-on-one. The only gentleman that had sense to talk and that was, uh, you know, engaging in the conversation was the elder attorney. Yeah, well, like, I respect you. I don't think he really was like the other two, just with despicable people. Yeah, they are despicable. And that's another mm-hmm. thing. He was asking, Roland was asking about Umar's credentials. What are their credentials? Right. <laughs> what did they earn? What, what did they earn? Right. That's, you know, that goes back to what I'm saying. We're seeing people, when I talked about the TV shows that we have, we see people now 
get on television and make money that aren't talented. The Kardashians, they got mm-hmm. on. They're known only because of the OJ case, the OJ case and sex tape. Right. Okay. And if and you know they're fine. Well, two at least two three two of them are. Okay. What? <laughs> mm-hmm. what yeah. What what else do they offer? I'm not knocking a hustle. They made, I think, one year $150 million. Mm-hmm. I mean, somebody's interested in them, so if you want to make your money, make your money, but do they have to get, do we have to devote all of our attention to them? I mean, things are so bad in people's lives right now, they need escapism more so than ever. I mean, superhero movies and reality TV shows and football. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... You need a way to escape the real world, and that's and sometimes that's good, but sometimes we gotta reality will smack you back down. Exactly. That's what it always does. Mm-hmm. That's always good. Yeah. Yeah. I uh. Yeah, I um like. And we're just talking with you, bro. I'm thinking about. <laughs> I'm. Mm-hmm. I have nostalgia right now. <laughs> Therefore, you know, it's interesting. I just want to talk to you about uh, a couple of things. I mean, we ain't going to be able to get it around this time. There's so much time go by real fast. I respect your time. But the Usher situation is really interesting to me. Uh, what are your thoughts about that situation with him and Herpes? I mean, they're really trying to destroy this man's gave, legacy. Of I think he gave yeah. – I, I don't think he gave the woman Herpes. I think he gave her Hershey's. <laughs> <laughs> well, she admitted the, – the, 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 the latest one admitted She's lying. She's – listen, there's no mm-hmm. way – Look, there's no way, number one, you would have to prove in court he had sexual contact with these women. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. The second thing is, can you prove he actually has herpes? Because if he doesn't have it, then that destroys the whole case, because herpes is not curable. But did he release his medical records when he settled, that one settlement? I, he... From my understanding, but he said he never had it. He made... That was a babysitter, I believe, he had paid off. So I don't know if he was having an affair with her or what. Right. You know, but he said, I saw the Vibe article, he's never been diagnosed with it, and he's actually intending to sue. Now, okay. now here's the flip side of it. You're reacting at him for giving these women herpes, but Charlie Sheen was having sex with women while he had HIV. Yeah. And he didn't dis- and they're saying he didn't disclose it. Where was Glo- where's Gloria Allweird and Lisa Bloom? Yeah, that's, that's a good point, man. That was a great point you are making. Uh, and just because somebody said I mean, doesn't mean they guilty. I, I, I need to clarify. That's allegedly because right, right. But, 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 but also as a lawyer, you know that just because you settle, just because you settle with somebody, don't mean you did anything wrong. Right. That's uh, the same thing with Michael Jackson and Bill Cosby. They. Mm-hmm. You know, my, Johnny Cochran was, uh, you know, he was a guy he liked to, you know, even though he was a criminal defense attorney, he had represented Todd Bridges around that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he represented so many other people. Most attorneys, I can tell you this, we, if we can settle cases, we do. Just because uh, we don't, there's a lot of time in it. Sometimes clients don't have money. And if it's a good resolution for them, then we just go ahead and don't bother with it. And so I think Johnny told Michael, my understanding, look, the guy just wants some money. 
Michael just didn't want to be bothered with it, so he went ahead and made that settlement. And if you listen to uh, the taped interview, they actually were listening to the daddy. Uh, in that case, he was saying how he was going to get all of this money and how I'm going to use him up and so forth. And you just stop and think for a second. If you, <laughs> What parent, there's not enough money in the world. If you had molested my son, mm-hmm. that that could keep me from killing you. Right. I'm speaking hypothetically. I don't want anybody to think I'm endorsing violence. I got to be careful. Right, right. But no, but no, but that's just how you feel as a parent. You know, if you did something like that, and that gentleman, uh, he's actually committed suicide after Michael died. He was uh, he was a writer. He wanted to write screenplays. He actually wrote one for uh, Mel Brooks' movie Robin Hood Men in Tights. Mm-hmm. He, he was a writer for that. His name was Evan Chandler. He was a dentist in Hollywood. Carrie Fisher wrote in her book, she talked about him, and she just said he was weird because she was a patient of his at one time. Mm-hmm. You know, so he, he was surrounded by all of that and wanted to get in on that. And, you know, it's a lot of, you know, there's money to be made in those stuff, but I don't think he uh, wrote another screenplay after that because uh, Mel Brooks was pretty good up until after Spaceballs. <laughs> yeah, I remember a man in tights with Dave Chappelle. He wore some tights in that. He said he don't like wearing dresses, but he wore tights. He did. He did wear <laughs> tights. But he but Dave Chappelle was still unknown at that time. Mm-hmm. I think he wore a dress in that, too. I don't know. I'm mistaken. I got to go back and look at it. Yeah, he was... Uh, a skirt or something, a man skirt or something. Yeah, well, it was like... A, was he wearing... Almost like I Dream of Genie stuff. Okay. And so we, we don't, nobody ever brings that up. You know, nobody ever brings that stuff up. But it's interesting. But, I mean, he got, they wanted him to actually put on a full-on dress in that Martin Lawrence movie, and he refused to do that. I mean, I respect, I mean, but just the thing, is, just that fetish thing. You know what I'm saying? Well, Usher, people making fun of that girl, but people don't understand, people got all types of weird sexual fetishes and attractions. It's so folks, and I would try to tell them what the hell's wrong with me. I don't know why. It's some women I like. I said, damn. It's like, why do I like this woman right here? You know what I'm saying? Like, what is it about? Right. It's not about being so-called pretty or cute. It's about magnetism. I had met people that had such strong animal magnetism about them. Yeah. yeah. About them. It was an it they had about them. It's not about how they look, per se. It's about how they made you feel and how they confidence. I mean, like, like uh, Henry Kins just said, he said, Tao was an aphrodisiac. Yeah, Some people are attracted to folks in certain ways. So I ain't going to make fun of nobody until they look a certain way that's not traditional well, to what we consider me, beauty or, or handsome or whatever. Well, let me be clear. I wasn't, I think I'm a big dude myself. I'm I'm not thin or anything like that. So let me be clear. I wasn't trying to, because people say I was trying to fat shame her or whatever. I only, I'm reacting because I think she's lying. And yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah. She's lying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it was ridiculous. Even if you look at Lisa Bloom, it looked like she didn't even believe what this woman was saying because it's just, it's frivolous. It's just frivolous. There's no way to prove. I, yeah. If, if you he said, she said so. Right. If you weren't infected with the disease, what are you doing doing a, a teleconference in front of all of these press reporters if you're saying you came back negative and you had sex with Usher? 
I mean, how do you prove that? That's true. It's just frivolous. Why? I don't believe it. Same thing with the Bill Cosby situation. You know, I, the woman admitted on the witness stand and in her deposition in no uncertain terms that she went back to Bill Cosby's house even after this alleged assault took place. Mm-hmm. She admitted that she gave him Valentine's Day gifts. She admitted that she went back to get concert tickets to her, to her, for her parents. Does that sound like that's business related? Because she said that's all of those calls. She said, "Well, seventy-five of those calls, all of them were just about business, even though they were late at night." Hey, come on, man. I mean, you raise some valid. I think points that people need to ask themselves. That's why it's so important to have uh, discussions and platforms where we can discuss these type of things and, and get people to think about things, not to control people thinking, but to get them to think and come right. to their own conclusions. So I think it's very important. Right. If, I, if we could, um, if we wanted to talk about the OJ thing. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I don't I want to get on for an hour, but go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, you had told me, and I think we were talking about this parole hearing. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you a question. When have you ever, let me ask you in the audience a question, have you ever seen a parole hearing televised on national TV? Uh, no, no. This <laughs> child, Mr. Manson, I think, had a parole hearing, and his his was not even televised. Mm. If I if I'm correct, okay. so yeah, so what they're doing is they're keeping the O.J. Simpson name alive throughout the country because with black people, we're often looked at when they attack one of us. That's used to reflect on all of us as an entire nation. Uh, as an entire group. You know, with the OJ case, they changed domestic violence laws throughout the country. They gave Congress approved about $2 billion to many of these domestic violence groups uh, here in the United States. And don't get me wrong, I think domestic violence is terrible, but and yeah, if you want to ask me, do I think OJ hit his wife a couple of times and Neither. Okay, yeah, I think, and I also think they were fight, she was fighting him too. Not saying that's an excuse, but if you talk about murder, you also got to look at the people she was surrounded by. This woman was, from the information that I've read, and you can read books by Dr. Henry Johnson. He's actually uh, a friend of O.J. Simpson. He had been investigating the case with his brother, Thomas Johnson. He wrote a book called Double Cross for Blood. And, you know, Ron and Nicole, Ron and uh, Goldman, you know, several associates of his, Michael Nigg and Brett Cantor, were murdered. Uh, Nicole Brown Simpson, you know, you remember that thing with Faye Resnick? It was known mm-hmm. that they would, they would uh, socialize and do drugs. Uh you know, not to mention also when they go back and look at the trial, the airline pilot who saw OJ and actually OJ signed his uh, pilot's log, he noticed no cuts and bruises on his body. They testified to this. He testified to this at the trial. All of this came out. So we're saying that a 47-year-old man at that time killed two athletically fit people one of whom was by accident. He was stabbed several times, and he managed not to get any blood on his skin, 
No cuts and bruises. The cut that he had on his finger was verified by the Chicago police. Uh, when he broke glass, a piece of glass after he found out his wife was ex-wife was murdered. But we ignore that. They ignore that, it's, and that's why you got to, you got to be careful. Uh, like Brother uh, Tariq Nasheed was saying, the OJ did it industry is a multi-million dollar industry. Uh, I saw his interview that well, the interview you did with him when you were, uh, he had a speaking engagement for him College Four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what he's saying is exactly correct. Not to mention also there are phone records that have not uh, been shown to the public that, from my understanding, show Nicole Brown Simpson was alive after eleven o'clock. Because it's like, well, mom, yeah, OJ tried to get those phone records released to you, and it's not been successful. Right, well, because they know, they know what uh, the truth is. Yeah, a lot of people on the ground know what the truth is, but the thing about it, who controls the narrative, even like Nicole Brown's sister's uh, uh, sister boyfriend, who was a mafia hitman in, in witness protection, said that police, their only suspect was OJ. They all were trying to go after OJ, the only person they were looking at. Right. And you could tell it was an organized crime hit because the way they were killed. And then you got somebody on death row in Florida named Glenn Rogers, I believe. He said he did it. A serial killer. Yeah. Well, uh, Thomas Johnson and his brother, uh, Dr. Henry Johnson, they have said that it was Glenn Rogers, uh, allegedly, along with another gentleman. Uh, you know, so he do say Resnick and Nicole Brown. So he hanged well, around he the was two. dating, according to what they, their research was saying, uh, Mr. Johnson, he said that Nicole had actually dated Glenn Rogers, and they actually have, uh, he documents it in his book, uh, Double, not Double Cross of Blood, there was another book you can read, Pursuit of Exhibit 35, which deals with the phone records, and how mm-hmm. the, the district attorney's office removed these exhibits, and that particular exhibit from the court records after the trial had concluded. The jury never saw the phone records. They agreed to stipulate what's called a stipulated agreement, mm-hmm. and that timeline was a stipulated timeline as to when the murder happened. So they never saw that. The public has never saw that. But Nicole Brown Simpson's mother, and it's in the coroner's affidavit, she told Thomas Lane, the detective, that they spoke at around 2,300 hours military time, which is 11 o'clock p.m. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, OJ was already getting in his limousine, getting ready to fly out to Chicago. And that's another thing. He was able to do all of this in less than <laughs> he was able to kill two athletically fit people and catch an airplane, uh, red eye flight. And he had, you forgot to mention he had bad knees. People, people think about that Hearst commercial where he's running through the airport. Go, Juice, go. He's the only black person in the airport running through there. But he has bad knees. He can't really walk that well. So no, you think he did out it. parole hearing too. He was yeah. going to walk. Yeah, he got no knees. I mean, from just playing football, wearing tear. Right, and the foot. And another thing too, with the gloves not fitting. Mm-hmm. Most those athletes. How tall is OJ Simpson? He's about tall. six one, six feet, from my like that. He's a little bit over six feet. Uh-huh. So let's say let's say for sake of argument, six two. Those right. athletes wear are going to wear double X. Or triple X. Yeah, we got big hands. Yeah. Hands and shoes. The shoes probably are size 13. The Bruno Magli shoes were much smaller than OJ's actual feet. If you looked at the shoe print, 
the shoe fit right in the towel. Well, Thomas Lane testified the towel measured about 11 and a half, so OJ wears a size 13, pocket a size 12, fit in an 11 and a half towel. You're right. There you go. But nobody, nobody answers that question. But yeah, it's it's all by design. It's to keep the narrative on OJ. It's to keep the uh, myth of the black. It's the Othellian storyline because you know they like to play that a black man jealous of a white woman. That started with uh, this guy. His name is Dominic Griffin. You mm-hmm. heard of him? Yeah. That, okay, Dominic. Go ahead. Go ahead. Dominic Griffin. Dominic Griffin was a true, like a, one of those true crime uh, reporters and authors. Oh, right. that's not Dominic Dunn, right? It's Griffin. No, I'm it's sorry, Dominic. I said Griffin. It's Dunn. Yeah, I heard. Yeah, Dunn. Yeah, he's passed now, right? He's dead. He's dead. Mm-hmm. Right, but he was the one. He's the one that really helped push that narrative. Him, him, Jeffrey Tobin, oh, yeah. uh, Geraldo uh, Rivera. That's a hack. That's a hack. Yeah, Geraldo Rivera, who his career was. His career was shot when he did that Al Capone song. Yeah, but he was dating Nicole's sister, though. Who was dating Nicole? Geraldo. About the end of the trial, he ended up dating her. Oh, really? Yeah, I believe it was involved, if I'm not mistaken. I remember looking at the OJ trial on E! Entertainment. OJ made so many people careers and networks. He made E! Core TV. Uh, he made so many people careers. Right. Everybody's allowed right. to make money but OJ, which is it's crazy. You know who's... I'm going to tell you something else, too. You know who else has written? You no, know, all of the attorneys, basically, maybe with the exception of F. Lee Bailey, have made multi-million. Darden. Darden got a book deal. Really? Oh, my God. You know who never wrote a book? Edo. Edo. Edo never wrote a book on it, which I found interesting. Why do you think that is? I, I don't know why. You would think, you know, it would have made, because he was very famous, he would have made millions of dollars, I'm sure. He was often, and he turned it down. Hmm. That was, I don't know why. It might be, uh, you know, I certainly can't be money. I can't say he doesn't need the money. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you got offered $5 million, even if I had, even if I made a six-figure salary, you ain't going to turn down free money like that. I guess so. I mean, you know, I, it, it's, it's a fascinating case because you got the millennials coming of age now. Now they, you know, updating the OJ narrative because, like, even twenty something years ago, they didn't have enough sense because the LAPD was incompetent in how they collected the evidence and how they just focused on OJ. And you know, you got folks on the ground. You know, some of those detectives were involved in the Rampart scandal where they were sending folks to jail on trumped up charges and false evidence. All right. That's, you know, so if you don't understand the context of that time, that's why it's so important that people like you and me and other folks start talking about this and putting that stuff out there because the information is not that for people to get. Right. And another book you should read, uh, I want to point this out. There's a white man. Uh, he's a true crimes author. His name is Stephen Singular. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of him. No. But I have his book. I'll share it with you, but the book is called Legacy, I'm reading it right here, the title of it. I'm going to make sure I get it right. But it's called Legacy of Deception. And it's called, a his, it is basically is a history, an investigation of Mark Furman and racism in the LAPD. So he wrote this book back in the 90s. And mm-hmm. I think he updated it. 
but it's, it's available online or Amazon. But he pointed out how basically the LAPD, their history of racism that they had, you know, Mark Furman, who's the witness, the star witness for the prosecution, if you remember. Very flawed star witness. <laughs> very flawed. He found, the you know, the glove and so forth. Well, the glove was planted, and mm-hmm. he was the one that planted it, and he had heard, Mr. Singular heard, while this all was going on from a reliable source in the LAPD, whatever you hear about the blood evidence that comes on the media, do not trust it. And according to Singular, he was the one that told Carl Douglas and Johnny Cochran about the EDTA that was in the blood. You see, EDTA is an artificial compound that is used if you ever go to a doctor to get your blood drawn. Mm-hmm. They put it in a purple tube. Well, that's to preserve, that chemical is to preserve the blood from clotting. Mm-hmm. So my mother who's a medical technician, she works for the Veterans Affairs Hospital for over 20 years. She knew immediately when all of this was going on. She, I shouldn't even mention her because she said, don't mention me when I'm talking about this stuff. But okay. it's okay. I'm going to mention it. But she, <laughs> she what's she going to do? <laughs> no, her, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Listen. Yeah. But she, well, yeah, she told me that um, she knew immediately. She said, they planted that. Because she knew, because she does, she's been in a lab, and she knew how that stuff worked. Mm-hmm. And then on top of the bloody socks, which they talk about, uh, Barry Sheck was talking about it as well with Charlie Rose and the other attorney. I think Peter Soundfield, he was one of the other members of the Dream Team. They knew from that that Furman and Van Anna had planted the socks with the blood in it because the way that the blood was in the socks was symmetrical, meaning it was poured through from one side to the other. If someone's foot is in a sock, it's not going to be the same side. The blood is not going to be the same side as it is on another side. You know, it's just like with blood splatter. Mm-hmm. You know, it should look different if it hits an object like a foot, a bone. Right. You know, it takes liquid takes shape of, you know, even though blood is, you know, plasma, it takes the shape of the object. So they poured that blood through his sock because O.J. had given, if you remember, blood to the police that day he was, uh, not the day he was arrested, but when he went in for questioning. So, yeah, if you read those books, your listeners can read it, you'll get the uh, true story from all of this because people need to realize what's going on. You know, they're redefining laws as a result of the OJ case. They're trying to brainwash uh, the new kids who don't know any better about it. That's all a part of it. By the way, Ethley Bailey was on how he became a big attorney. I was listening to Judge Joe Brown when he was talking about how he represented the Russian spy. I also read he was the lawyer for Sam Shepard, Dr. Sam Shepard, with Mm -hmm. the fugitive. Right. Got him out. Right. Well, originally, he was convicted, but then the Supreme Court struck down his conviction because of the publicity. Because mm-hmm. due to the publicity of the trial, excuse me, due to the publicity of the trial, it prevented him from having, you know, a fair trial. Mm-hmm. And you see, you even saw it with O.J. and you see it with Bill Cosby. You saw it with Mike, even with Michael, um, 
if you read the book by yeah, if you read the book by Aphrodite Jones, uh, called the Michael Jackson Conspiracy, she was trying to do a positive Michael Jackson book, and no book publisher wanted to do that, and everything in the media was negative. That's how they make their money. I mean, that's why reality TV shows are so popular. People love Conrad. Right. And uh, Tom Messero, who was Michael's attorney, he had talked with Barry Gordy, and Barry Gordy told him, he said, you know that you got Michael off, you just cost the national media about $4 billion. Yeah. They knew what was going on. Fake news. I mean, it's fake news. <laughs> yeah. I know Judge Joe don't like him. <laughs> don't like uh, Mike. Oh yeah, you know, you know everybody got their opinions and reasons yeah. for you know. But my thing is, if you didn't, if you if they charged you something you didn't do, even though you might have a questionable character or whatever, or even sexual or sexuality or sexual preference, if they charge you something you didn't do, and they railroading you, then nobody deserves to go to jail for something they didn't do. No, no, they nobody don't, deserves right. to go to jail. Yeah. And I think in that case, they just couldn't prove their case and. You know the boy. They had a lot of. He had a lot of holes in his story. And Mesro mm-hmm. was a great attorney. He was able to uh, cross-examine him. He brought on character witnesses. He brought on witnesses that uh, contradicted the boy's case. Um, you know, he had celebrities testify where their family was trying to extort them. Yeah, I mean, you you're a target when you're a celebrity, like Usher. You're a target when you are a celebrity. Chris Tucker testified for Michael, um, mm-hmm. Nate Leno, a uh, couple other people. Yeah. But then you start. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And believe it or not, Geraldo Rivera, he was kissing Michael's ass all the time. He. I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I remember him standing for Michael that last trial. And also, I remember when uh, Jermaine Jackson was on Larry King. Larry King stood for Michael, too. I believe he testified on behalf of Michael. And uh, Jermaine said, you know, my my um, brother got a 5,000-square-foot master bedroom. And then Larry King said, repeat that, Jermaine. Repeat that once more. My brother has a 5,000-square-foot master bedroom. That's the size of a mansion for some people. And that's his bedroom. So you can't look at the bed as being a motel six-size bed. I'm not justifying grown man sleeping with a little kid, but I'm saying, how big was that damn bed he was sharing? If his, his master bedroom is 5,000 square feet. And he was saying he was, he said he would give it up, the room. Just like a guest, you know, if you yeah. come to my house, if you, back in the day, if you were spending the night by somebody's house and you were a guest, you would that, bed. they would give you up their bed for you. And while yeah. they would go sleep in the floor or go sleep in the other kid's bedroom. Mm-hmm. That was just the kind of, like, we did that when my aunt and uncle would come. They would have the master bedroom. That was, just, that was natural. Now, I don't, con, I think, I certainly don't condone, you know, his changing his appearance because he really, no, no gay stuff. <laughs> but uh, he was a good-looking kid. But, hey, he stayed a regular-looking black man. He was being in jail right now. I believe that. If he had stayed his regular appearance. <laughs> Not saying that, you know, something about people with black folks. You know what I'm saying? Like, he looks like some type of weird, eccentric type of person, right? But here he stayed looking like a regular black man. You think he would have got off? Well, I think we would look at him. Do I think he would still? I think they still would have killed him since he had that catalog. Yeah, but we escaped the charges. He was not even child molestation, though. Would he like, oh, this guy looks guilty. You know how 
like that Willie Horton thing. Like they need a black boogeyman. Well, you know how white, you know how this white supremacist society works. Like you're a black man, you're a monster, a uh, a potential monster. Well, OJ, OJ really did transcend race. That's why white folks were so upset because they knew how to deal with OJ. Right. Well, I mean, we were even the LAPD didn't know how to deal with OJ. Like when they called for the domestic violence thing, supposed that uh, it's OJ Simpson. He's not a regular black. He's OJ. And he was treated like that for a long, long time. Yeah, until now. <laughs> yeah, so now he's, he, he embodies the racial polarization of America right. against his own wishes, which is ironic. He tried to avoid it all his life. But now he's the epitome of what's going on, racial divisiveness in this country. Yeah, he's being used that way. Yeah. But, yeah, as far as Michael, I think... He would. I don't think. My, I think Mike would have still been out. I don't think he was going to jail because he had a stronger fan base than even Bill Cosby. Yeah, people who watch TV knew who Michael Jackson was. It was like a, a Jesus thing. <laughs> Go to different countries. They knew Cosby, Michael Jackson. With Bill Cosby getting wrong, he started, and we talked about this before. Is when he made that he started criticizing the hip hop generation, and he wasn't very embracing of them. And even going back to when he was doing, uh, remember that, remember Eddie Murphy's movie, movie Raw? When he right, about right, right. Yeah, I remember that. Right. And how Cosby just said, I'd like to talk to you about things you see in your show. It was like, he never knew Bill Cosby. He knew Bill Cosby, but this was the first time he ever talked to him and he criticized him. It's like, right. yeah, you could have handled it a little bit differently. So, the fact that it's coming out that he had affairs with all these women is almost looking like he's a hypocrite. But do I think he was raping them? No. There's no ev- I don't have any evidence to prove that. And I, you know, so we're not, and we're not so quick to defend him or come to his aid because of that. But we got to realize that they're not doing it to, on top of the fact that other whites who have been accused of worse, like Woody Allen, and Steve Collins from Seventh Heaven. And Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski, Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen. Well, yeah. I mean, he's Charlie Sheen sleeping has been had issues with domestic violence and uh, possibly giving women having sex with them HIV, which is actually worse than even with ushers. It technically is worse than that because HIV is. I'm not saying there's no level of STD that's better than one. It's still bad, but, you know, HIV changes the game, man. Mm. You know, that you can actually be, if he knew about it, he could actually be prosecuted for attempted murder. But some weird way, Charles Shane is protected. <laughs> you don't really. Right, but, yeah, we got to stay on code with it because, you know, they're changing the rape laws, too, in this country. <laughs> a lot of things are changing, but, you know, there's so much we could talk about, but uh, I guess we just got to say this for another time. Uh, Brother Gavin, Richard, what's the best way for the people to reach you, man? Because people are really going to enjoy this interview. I already know. Yes, brother. Uh, well, you can reach me. You can follow me on Instagram at grich2786. You can also reach me on my Twitter account at gavmrich2786. I know they're two different names. Uh you know, I practice law here on the side, uh, law office of Gavin Richard. My website is gmrichardlawoffice.com. Uh, but, you know, uh, you can also 
subscribe to my YouTube channel, GBoot2786. You know, and uh, I'm sorry, is it GBoot? Yeah. <laughs> Man, I forget sometimes. We'll, we'll make sure we put all the contact we can on, on the on the show. GBoot2786, yeah. I, I really appreciate uh, always talking to you, brother. I saw you in Los Angeles. A couple of a uh, couple of week months back for your birthday. Yeah. Yeah. How was it? It was great. I went back recently. I I spent almost all of July in Los Angeles, Las Vegas, and Oregon this past month. So I went back there for a second time. I love LA. <laughs> I love the West Coast. It's, it's interesting. It's different. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity out there, and uh, I look forward to going back there again. So I've been there two times in less than two months. I thought about uh, eventually practicing law out there once. Oh, you have fun out there, man. There's a lot of stuff out there. <laughs> yeah. It's expensive to live, though, I know. Oh, well, you know, anything, you got to pay the cost to be the boss, like James Brown said, you know, so many years ago. I, I just think sometimes we limit ourselves based on this thing called money, and money is a tool. It's not the end game to me. It's just a means to get to your end, you know. It's a resource to be utilized, and if you want to make something happen, you do what it takes to make it happen. Like Malcolm said, by any means necessary. Yeah, most definitely. That's true. I mean, you got to take a risk. Yeah. If you ever want to fly, you got to jump. Basically. That's how it works, man. But, Brother Gavin, I love, I love to talk to you always, man. You're a great man. I uh, look forward to hearing more great things from you and doing more shows with you. In the words of the great Duke Elton, we love you madly. Keep on producing and pushing, and have a great weekend. All right. Thank you, brother. And, uh, look, what we'll do, uh, if you ever come to New Orleans or Louisiana, you let me know. I'm going to take you to a real burger place and some seafood. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll be coming there soon then, bro. <laughs> 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 Eat a battle rouge on New Orleans. Thank you so much, man. All right. Thank you. All right. Peace. Peace.